Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, we are now about three, maybe four weeks into the new administration of U.S. President Donald Trump. And what's been interesting is that Donald Trump has been picking fights with a lot of people around the world, the Australians, Mexicans, Germans, not the Russians, incidentally, but nonetheless, uh, Europeans, uh, potentially even, uh, oh, definitely the Chinese. Uh, But one interesting kind of gap in Donald Trump's worldview that we're seeing is that he has not mentioned Africa at all. So there are a lot of question marks now about what will be the future of U.S. foreign policy in Africa. And the reason why this is so important is it's coming at a time when there are real concerns about the economic future of Africa. You know, Kobus, we talked a lot last year about the Africa rising narrative, and that isn't being talked about so much these days In fact, because uh, African economic growth is slowing. Uh, There's instability in some parts of North Africa that are kind of raising concerns. And so now with the United States kind of adding to that fear of instability, Africans are looking much more carefully towards their international relationships, particularly towards China, who incidentally is emerging now as a force potentially for global stability. Chinese President Xi Jinping was at the World Economic Forum, and he spoke really aggressively in support of globalization. And I think this must have come as welcome news for a lot of African leaders. I think so, because African growth is so dependent on globalization, not only in terms of selling African minerals and so on to the rest of the world, but also by getting uh, outside companies to to put in infrastructure that will drive African growth and also African trade with, with other African countries. One of the things that we're seeing in the media right now across Africa is this growing concern that the void, the lack of policy coming out of Washington about Africa is starting to raise some speculation that maybe what's going to happen for Africa will not be good when when Donald Trump does eventually turn his attention to the continent. And one of the you know interesting articles that crossed our radar earlier this week uh, came from Ansetsi Were, who wrote, Africa must now get ready for Trump-inspired China shift, and she's a columnist for Business Daily, which is based out of Nairobi, and she's also a development economics economist based there. And she joins us on the line from Nairobi and said, say, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. My pleasure. Now, you, you know, you're, you're speculating just like everybody else because we don't know. But you had this rather somewhat alarmist headline that there's a big shift coming up because Trump is not going to be good for Africa. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your, your case is for why you think a Trump-inspired China shift is coming in Africa. Well, there are a couple of things there. The first of which, there's this lacuna emerging in terms of global leadership that you alluded to, that this sort of America first narrative that Trump um, is creating and it's engendering a gap in the world in terms of, well, now who's going to take care of the world? Who's going to lead the world? And obviously, given the magnitude of China and Africa and in the world, globally speaking, the the obvious person or the obvious um, country that would fill that gap is China. And it looks like the early signs that China seems to be willing um, to take on that role. But if you look at specifically the concerns that 
Africans are having with this America First narrative, where Trump wants to build American, buy American, trade American, sell American, you know, where he's even introducing, introducing protectionist policies, possibly. Um, as Africans, we're sort of amused by it because we're like, well, there goes the globalization commander um, going into protectionism with the USA. So we're a bit amused by that. But there's also serious concern in terms of will Trump's administration affect the Goa? Um, will the Trump economy negati- negatively affect remittances from the African diaspora into the continent? And how will FBI from the USA into Africa be affected by all these changes Trump is, is, looking, to, is looking to create? Now, the, the thing that we're seeing is, you know, given the role that China has had in Africa thus far is that China will be monitoring what the USA Trump administration will be doing in Africa. And there will be a serious, um, if Trump chooses to engage in Africa, he will have to reckon with the Chinese power and the Chinese agenda on the continent. Yeah, you, you referenced um, Goa, which is uh, just a quick kind of uh, explanator. You know, that is the foundation of the U.S.-African trade relationship. It's the African right. Growth and Opportunity Act. Interestingly enough, it it expires, I think, in 2025. I think it's 2025. Right. Somebody correct me on that. Uh, which, if Donald Trump only, only has one term, that would exceed his term. So he would not necessarily need to renegotiate that. And there's concern that if he is in power, when AGOA comes up, he will not renew that. Kobus, go ahead. I interrupted you. Sorry. Sorry. Um, and that's actually, I'm picking up on that. Can you give us an idea of how big AGOA is in, in the African trade landscape? Um, to which, it, like, if, if AGOA were to, to disappear tomorrow, uh, you know, kind of how big a disaster would that be for Africa and like which countries would suffer the most? Well, um, I think a goal has been important in terms of building our export profile as a continent and sort of beginning to integrate um, quasi-manufactured goods emerging out of Africa into developed markets. There's really no other platform that's sort of formal and structured where quasi-manufactured goods are coming out of Africa into developed markets. As you know, the usual story is that we sell commodities and buy manufactured goods. So if you look at the textile industries and apparel industries in Africa, and particularly in Kenya, they're very dependent on Algoa. And if Algoa were, were to, be, to be changed or you know, even scrapped altogether, there would have to be a lot of renegotiation going on in terms of what we do with this capacity that we've developed for those Algoa markets, and how do we now start reckoning with absorbing that excess capacity either in the country or on the continent. So there will be a shake of it. I don't think it would be massive, but it would be noticeable, and African governments would have to develop strategy to deal with that. I would expect that some African governments are now creating scenarios, um, at least gaming out, that that may happen. You know, I mean, just even though AGOA doesn't come up for renewal in 2025, uh, NAFTA, you know, never, you know, two or three years ago, no one would have thought that NAFTA would be up. Uh, you you know, would be canceled. So do you think that African governments now are actually creating some scenarios of what life post-AGOA might be? And in that case, that brings them closer to the Chinese? Well, I certainly hope that they're thinking about that. I don't think it will necessarily bring us closer to the Chinese because it's been very clear from the onset that the main market for African goods in China are commodities. And so obviously as China's appetite declined for commodities and as that commodity price slump began to hit, Africa has really been affected, which is what you were alluding to earlier, that the Africa narrative, Africa rising narrative is being questioned. And I think this is a caveat, just to, to put my opinion on that. I think we need to understand that Africa is a very complex continent, and what's happening now is really multi-speed growth, where certain parts of Africa are still thriving, like the eastern part of Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, Burundi, 
um, even to a certain amount, a certain level, South Sudan, um, we're still thriving because a lot of us have been commodity, commodity resilient and we have not been commodity um, reliant. Um, so I, I think it is, it is important for African governments to start that scenario planning, particularly in terms of redirecting that excess capacity into this free trade area that we're trying to build on a continental level and really allowing Africa goods to meet African demand. Um, as I say, in your, in your article, you made the point that Trump's advisors are notoriously sinophobic, particularly uh, one yeah. of his uh, chief uh, ad- trade advisors, Peter Navarro, is this academic who's, who's for a long time has been very, very anti-China. Um, in terms of in terms of the the this kind of anti-China narrative being becoming so dominant in the Trump administration, where do you foresee that putting Africa? Well, you know, to be to be honest, uh, we're very used to the xenophobic rhetoric coming from the, the the global north about China. They have been very simplistic in their analytical efforts on the continent in terms of what China is doing. So, as analysts, we've we've long grown weary of sort of xenophobia from you know from the developed the developed world. Um, now, there is, it is true that the Trump administration has a very acute strain of xenophobia, particularly pronounced one. Um, that we have not seen in previous administrations. And as I alluded to in my article, I think all this will do will push China deeper into Africa because that is one continent where the USA has been losing ground now for decades. And that's one continent where China has been gaining, gaining ground. So I think if you look at it from a global point of view, really Africa, the markets, the resources, um, is really something that China is going to hold on to, um, regardless of what the Trump administration tries to pull off. Let me quote you from your article picking up on that strain of thought. You say here, Africa should expect China to more aggressively engage in consolidating its economic strength and influencing global trade rules and dynamics to its advantage. There's concern that if China does consolidate, as you suggest, in Africa, that it may actually not be for Africa's benefit. So let's kind of walk down the path and a year from now, maybe two years from now, Trump really has, as you suspect he might, neglected African policy. AGOA or trade is not you know, robust between the United States and Africa, and China is much stronger. What does that look like for the continent? Well, it's an interesting dynamic going on here. Because as China sort of tries to rebrand itself or brand itself as a global leader that's coming and filling this lacuna created by Trump's narrative, what's going to happen and what's already happening is that China will be expected to be a more responsible global development partner. Like the, the world and Africa will expect them to be more responsible in terms of the social impacts of the investment and the environmental impact of the investment. And if you look at the latest batch of um, loans and development um, support that China has given to Africa, we're already beginning to see China supporting the environment and wildlife and conservation in Africa. So China, I think, this is part of an ongoing strategy China has been planning where they're trying to start looking at environmental, social, and governance issues as they deploy their, fi- their financing. So I think that, ironically, even though Trump policies will push China deeper into Africa, the scrutiny that will come with that push from the international community, will really put China on the spot to become more responsible as an international leader in the world and Co- in Africa. Kobus, let me turn to you on this, because you've studied Chinese soft power in Africa, and this is where the Chinese come up so incredibly weak. 
Uh, you know, it's the question of they're great with hard power, which is economics. Now they're bringing military, you know, their political support. But they're lacking in this idea of the imagination, the policy ideas, the popular culture. You know, do you think that the Chinese can take advantage of this opportunity? And in order to establish themselves as true world leaders, they will have to then develop these soft power ideas. And that's where the United States, despite all of its flaws politically, remains incredibly strong with, you know, Akon, Jay-Z, Beyonce, you know, all of those kind of characters that are very, very powerful forces for culture in Africa. Tell me a little bit about what your thinking is in terms of if the Chinese can capitalize on this. It's a difficult question because China, um, you know, in, in terms of, in China produces a lot of entertainment. Um, I mean, it's, it's an entertainment and media powerhouse. Yeah, but nobody, but it nobody watches it outside of China that much, do you think? I mean... No, of course not, because because at the moment China is um, China is still in uh, in in a moment where it, it only needs to focus on its domestic audience and it only needs to you know kind of it, it doesn't need to really export anything. Um, however, there is a there is a, a precedent for Chinese media being being popular in Africa um, from the 70s onwards. And that is, you know, that that's what I've discussed in the past, which is um, Kung Fu movies. So it's not impossible for Chinese stuff to be to become popular in, in Africa. It just needs to become popular in Africa. And those are those are two two different stages. Um, but you know, kind of as, as you you know, as you completely rightly say, they're producing a lot, but but they are is at the moment incredibly inward looking um, and only really communicating with with their um, with the domestic audience, um, that takes a few decades to change. You know that you know that, that was it was similar in, in the U.S. to a certain extent. You know Hollywood was communicating with Americans for a long time before it became you know before it became institutionalized everywhere else. Um, so. In, in turn, but uh, you know, so that's point one. The se second thing is that um, soft power depends so much not only on media, but it depends on on perceptions of what you are like as a country. Um, and so, just the the travel ban alone that we saw, where where you know um, bans were put on travelers from Muslim countries despite having um, green cards and and valid visas, that alone I think has has just really damaged the U.S.'s. Um, image in Africa. Um, so you, you get a moment sometimes where when there's so much disjunction between the act of a government and the popular culture coming from a country, the two start resonating in this kind of very unpleasant way with each other. Um, so I think this is what we might be seeing now in, in, in the consumption of American media in Africa is that in a weird way, um, you know, kind of Beyonce and Donald Trump are starting to echo in in, in strange and kind of dissonant ways. Um, and what you might see is that you know, kind of that Donald Trump represents bad America and Beyonce represents good America. That's that's one one way. The other way that that you can see is that they start kind of corrupting each other. You know, and and what and what you see is a general kind of turning away from America as a whole. Mm. It's much too early to say what what it's going to be. Um, and that's sorry to to go from my random wafflings. Um, <laughs> you know, in terms of um, uh, we we've spoken so much about how Trump is gonna is gonna um, react to Africa and whether it's, he's gonna um, ignore them or not. How do you think Africa is gonna react to Trump? Like, how are African leaders going to relate to the Trump administration? 
I think it's going to be a very um, varied picture across the continent. I mean, I understand that just today, <clears throat> Trump signed an executive order where, where Kenya will perhaps we no longer need visas to, to get into the USA. Um, so I think when you look at sort of the security nodes in Africa, which are right now, Kenya is a very important security node for the U.S., African leaders do not want the U.S. to stop supporting their anti-terrorism efforts, particularly countries like Kenya, which has very porous borders with countries like Somalia that, you know, has the Al-Shabaab, which is a militant um, Islamic extremist terrorist group that has made several attacks on Kenya um, over even this year, just earlier this year, earlier, earlier this, this month, we, we had an attack from Al-Shabaab. On, on our defense forces. Um, so the one thing that, that I think will temper any sort of um, negative response from African governments to, to Trump and his administration is that security question. We still need American guns. We still need help in collecting intelligence against these terrorist groups. We still need U.S. support in trying to keep our, our borders secure. Now, the flip side is sort of the more sort of um, general public response to what Donald Trump is is saying. Now, you, you will see a very interesting dichotomy going on in Africa that I've observed. On one hand, you have a, some Africans who actually support Donald Trump because he's backed by people who are anti-abortion, uh, which is something that's very common on the continent. Most people think abortion is wrong. And he's backed by religious uh, Christians, um, and that's another big uh, factor for a lot of Africans. A lot of them are very religious Christians. He's against homosexuality. Again, across the board in Africa, Africa is a very homophobic continent. Well, he's changed he his opinion on, just, just to be fair to Donald Trump, he has evolved his opinion on homosexuality, you know, over the years. He's now actually not opposed to it. He may not be in support of it, but he's not opposed to it. That His policies have been a lot more nuanced yeah, on that. well... Well, for now, I think when you have Mike Pence as your vice president, That's I think fair. we need to understand that there is a team around him that is quite anti-homosexuality. And, and a lot of the, 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 the activists in the homosexual and sort of transsexual, bisexual space are very nervous as to what Trump will be doing and who will influence that side of his agenda. So th- that's what I was saying. So the, for, there's one half of Africa that's really happy. That we've got this guy in the U.S. who's anti-abortion, who's anti, or him and his team seem to be anti-homosexuality, and who seems to be sort of like some sort of religious, he listens to God in some sort of crazy way. Um, but then, of course, there's everybody else. Who's like, well, this guy clearly seems to have race, race, uh, race issues. Uh, he seems to be quite racist. Um, women's groups are not um, happy at all with his misogynistic rhetoric that has been so clear through his, even when he was running for president. Um, and then, of course, there are those of us who are concerned with his um, just neglect of the continent because he thinks we're this tiny dot that's completely insignificant. Um, so there is going to be, I think, a divide between what government still wants to get from the USA, because we're not going to see African governments turning away from the USA on principle, I don't think. I think once there are any decisions that have economic ramifications, then you might see a shift. But if it's just rhetoric or sort of benign neglect, I don't think um, everybody, any, anyone will really shift because of that security question. Um, and I think in the African population, there will be this divide between those who view Trump as, as someone who's, who's good and those who, who don't like him at all. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see any pullback of American security support in Africa because this is very, you know, the the kind of fight against uh, radical Islamic terrorism, as the conservatives put it, uh, is something that sells very well in Washington. The people he's got in place in the Pentagon are very, very big supporters of that. You know, so if Nigeria or Kenya, who are all fighting, uh, you know, Islamic radicals, 
uh, you know, ask the United States for more support. My suspect, my suspicion is that they will get it. Um, there is a counter narrative here, and and this is something that I'd like to kind of put up. You know, Africans have are exhausted from American presidents lecturing them and moralizing to them. We saw it just, in fact, with President Barack Obama's visit to Nairobi last year when he was talking about gay and lesbian rights. And President Uru Kenyatta was very clear in saying, Mm-mm, not here, don't talk to us about this, back off. And, you know, Donald Trump has made it very clear that he is not going to go around telling the rest of the world that they need to be more like America. Uh, in fact, he just equated the United States to Russia and President Putin for killing. We've got bad people here and we've done bad things. So I think that actually might be very welcome in Africa if we have an American president and an administration that isn't moralizing to people. Um, and so I guess let me let me challenge you a little bit, Nzetsi, and kind of let's say you get it wrong because there's a lot of voices in Washington now who are saying that, you know, the United States needs to engage Africa in order to counter the Chinese influence in Africa. So rather than actually Donald Trump ignoring the continent, they are pushing him very, very hard to get engaged. What happens if he gets engaged? Well, I think it's been what we've been anticipating for decades now, which is a turf war. I mean, African analysts, we've been talking about this for years now, which is just a question of time. Africa is the last frontier. We're basically the only continent left um, for, you know, um, empires to, to, to uh, consolidate their control or consolidate their power. So we as Africans, analysts particularly, and as an economist, I can say that, it, yes, it is possible that Trump will clue into Africa and really support Africa in terms of, um, you know, security support, will not lecture and moralize Africa, um, and, and may create a, a breath of fresh air in that sense. But I think you need to also understand that Trump works through an entire infrastructure of organizations and people um, who may not articulate what he's saying very well. We have the U.S. aid here. We have um, business partners here in, in Africa who are always on that sort of patronizing, moralizing stand. <clears throat> while they do provide useful support to the, co- the continent in some ways, um, that lecturing, I think, it will take some, a bit of time, and I don't think Trump will create this seismic shift um, in terms of the culture of those organizations and the culture for foreign policy um, in America, I think, in, in, in the next few years. So I think there may be, if, if Trump does decide to engage with Africa and sort of try and talk to us as equals, um, that may be welcome, but I think in terms of the implementation of that will be difficult. And also, quite frankly, if you look at the U.S. as a trading partner, um, for the for the for Africa, it's been declining. If you look at the USA in terms of a financing partner, yes, it's still quite strong. But but China and India and Belgium and and Europe are still uh, are quite strong in that as well. So I think he needs to understand that he's operating in a multipolar world. We're no longer in the Cold War, where it's the U.S. versus Russia or whoever else. We're living in a multipolar world where there are different powers. Sort of with this sort of um, additional scramble for Africa, and I think really the question should be is what strategy should we as Africans begin to deploy in terms of managing all these conflicting interests from different parties on the continent? Kobus, my take on that uh, yeah, is yeah, I would, I oh, would go ahead, Kobus. Go, so sorry to interrupt. I mean, what, what, I, I would, you know, picking up from what you say, I would wonder whether he has the kind of institutions that would be able to support 
you know, kind of that greater engagement with Africa, because one of the reasons why China is such has grown to, to be so influential in Africa is, is through institutions like the Exim Bank, um, you know, kind of in other other lending institutions and their their easy connection with with Chinese uh, state owned and private um, infrastructure companies. You know, the the that the the link between financing and then getting a you know a group of competent people who can implement an infrastructure project oh. that was that is key to Chinese investment yeah, um, in, in, in partnership in Africa. But Kobus, he and doesn't I don't care about know. that. I mean, Kobus, he doesn't care about the institutions. I mean, Steve Bannon yeah, and him no, want to blow up the institutions. I mean, if they want to blow up NATO, yeah, no, they're going to want to blow but, up but anything in Africa. But that's what I mean, is that the US or US's presence in Africa is already highly militarized. So if if he wants greater greater kind of influence in Africa, then is his only his only option is to become even more militarized because he's I mean in that sense America has nothing else nothing else to offer. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know that, that, that's what I'm asking. It's like, it's what form will great engagement take if it isn't just simply more boots on the ground? Here, here's my take on it. And this this will be my, my kind of closing thoughts. And I'd like to get both of you to kind of comment and, and give me share what your thoughts are. Um, I think we're in, I think the future is going to be very dark. I think the next few years, I mean, I think the, the rules of the game have totally changed. This was a revolution. It's not just in the United States. This was a revolution in Britain. It's coming in France. I firmly believe that Marine Le Pen will become the next president of France. I think she will smash the European Union. And I think developing countries and emerging countries in South Asia, in South America, and particularly in Africa, um, will suffer tremendously from the upsetting of the apple cart. And again, Trump has made it very clear, and he's following through on everything he told us that he wants to smash the world order, and he's doing that. So there is absolutely no reason to think, in my view, that he is going to play by some type of rules or respect any institutions. Steve Bannon and you know Michael Flynn and also uh, the National Security Advisor and the president himself uh, have no respect whatsoever for those old rules because the people they're representing um, are not benefiting from those rules. And they're representing the white working class in the Midwest and the South who are pissed off as all hell. And they blame everybody, you know, Africans, Chinese, Vietnamese, everybody for their, for their you know, and I think they're going to burn the house down. So, and if they burn the house down, uh, people in poorer countries are going to suffer tremendously. Uh, and Setsi, what's your final thought? That I, That's a very dark way for me to end the show on, but... Uh, I'm I'm not very optimistic. What are your what what's your prognosis for the next well, few years? I would love it if that's exactly what Trump did. That would be brilliant for Africa. You think so? We'll have the short term pain. I really think so because it is time. And even you're thinking you're seeing in people of my generation and younger, we're tired of relying on European and North American powers that do not have our interests at heart. The same way there's been a lot of irritation and disenfranchisement by the electorate that voted in Trump. There's a a mirror electorate that's probably larger in Africa that is very tired of North America and Europe telling us what to do, getting us into deals that do not benefit our people, do not benefit our economy um, to the extent that they could. Um, so in my view, I, I think he should just go on right ahead. I think he'll have more hell domestically because of the sort of civil strife he's going to engender by what he's doing. I think if you're looking at Africa and sort of our exposure to financial markets, 
our exposure and global trade, et cetera, outside the continent, India and China are a much bigger deal for us right now than the USA. Um, so I think in the long term, it will be good for Africa to force us also to get our act together a bit more, get a bit more organized, stop relying on, on the U.S. Um, for aid and grants and, and financing. And quite frankly, in Trump, breaking all those rules, he's going to erode the soft power that so many administrations have worked so hard to create on the continent. A lot of people loved America because of Barack, that he's open, he's caring, he's good, he's kind, Americans make nice music, etc. So I think as you're alluding, as Kobus is alluding to sort of the Beyonce versus Trump um, sort of dichotomy that may emerge, you may see that in Africa where we're very happy that the America, America is becoming more insular and sort of leaving Africa to get on with African business without all these, you know, foreign agendas interfering with the way our countries work. I love it. Kobus, I am so happy that we invited Nsetse onto the show. I mean, <laughs> this is great. Listen, if you want to follow what Nsetse is doing, uh, Africa must now get ready for Trump-inspired China shift. She is not messing around with her opinions, as you can see. You can follow her in Business Daily, which is uh, businessdailyafrica.com. Just look for her. And also, you are on Twitter. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. How can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, they can find me on Anzetsa. It's just literally my first name. I'm going to be pretty much the only person with that name on Twitter, so it shouldn't be too hard to find me. That is A-N-Z-E-T-S-E. Uh, so yes. it's uh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is I mean, you know, the kind of thinking that we need to, you know, to, we, we ha- we're in a new space right now. And the Absolutely. old rules do not apply. And I just, I, you know, you, you've made me think in, in a lot of different ways today, and I'm, I'm really glad. And thank you so much for joining us on the program. We will have you back very soon to kind of follow up with you to see how many of your predictions are coming true. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you. And Kobus, I mean, uh, you know, holy moly. I mean, you know, we just, again, we just don't know what's going to happen now because, you know, Trump has not articulated much. Africa certainly is waiting to see what's happening. The Chinese are not messing around. They're continuing to approve billions of dollars in loans. They're engaging. They're stepping up. They're doing a lot more on wildlife. So I think we're, we're in for some very interesting times. Yes, definitely. I mean, on the one hand, it, it could drag everyone down. On the other hand, it could be this weird situation where the US and the UK and France and so on just essentially remove themselves from the game and, you know, like essentially set themselves on fire. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, it ain't going to be boring. So we're going to continue to cover it. We want to thank you for joining us on the program. And as always, you can follow us on all of our various social media places, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We're also on Twitter on LinkedIn. We've got 172,000 people following me on LinkedIn, so look me up at Eric Olander. Uh, We're talking about China-Africa issues. There's a great discussion that's going on, and so uh, definitely leave your comments uh, below on any of the different social platforms, and we would love it if you could follow us uh, and subscribe to this podcast, and we would be so, so, so grateful if you could leave a review, because it makes it easier for other people to find the show. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.